Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to see you all. I, I can't tell you, I am so excited this morning to kick off this new series on Abraham, the father of the faithful. Not just the faithful in the Old Testament, but he's used in the New Testament in the writings of the apostles as an example of faith. He is the spiritual father of even the faithful Christian. In the New Testament, Moses is mentioned 80 times. Abraham is mentioned 74 times, almost as many times as Moses. These are the two key Old Testament figures that the New Testament bases a great deal of teaching upon, Moses being the law, Abraham being the spirit of the law, faith and faith and trust in God. The title of today's message is The Call of Abraham. The Call of Abraham. You'll notice as our brother Joe read those verses that he wasn't identified as Abraham. He was identified as Avram, which means exalted father. Later on, God would change his name to Abraham father of a multitude, to remind him of the promise that the Lord gave to him in the verses that our brother Joe read for us. But the title of the message is The Call of Abraham, because that's what happens in these verses. God speaks to him and calls him to journey to the promised land, as we'll see. This is what's known as a character study. When you study a biblical character, Often it's an Old Testament character. Sometimes it could be a New Testament character. Very often, Peter or Paul. Those are two key ones that might be studied. Peter in the Gospels and Paul in the book of Acts. Also, Peter and, and John in the Gospels, uh, in the book of Acts, might make an interesting study as well. But there's a mistake that is often made when we do character studies. We focus in on the individual, whether it be Hannah, or that great woman of faith in 1 Samuel, or whether it be uh, Daniel and his three friends, whoever it is, even Abraham, we focus on the individual. Why? We can relate to the individual. They're men and women just like we are, with a love for God, faith in God, a heart of gold but feet of clay. They fail and fall just like you and I do throughout our Christian walk, throughout our Christian life. The mistake we make, though, is to focus solely on the human character. The Bible is only secondarily a book about man, fallen man who was to be redeemed. It's primarily a book about God and Christ, and what they would do to redeem fallen, sinful man created in God's image. As we look at each passage in the life of Abraham, God is going to be revealed in each passage in a certain way. And you'll see the interaction that Abraham has with God in each passage. But God is always there 
He's above, he's over, he's sovereign over, he's controlling, he's working either in the forefront or sometimes behind the scenes in all of the passages that we'll look at in Abraham's life. In Genesis 12, in these nine verses, what you will learn about God is that God will always work out his plan in your life, just like he did in Abraham's life. God had a plan. He stated what that plan was in Genesis chapter 3. When he curses the serpent in, in Genesis 3 verse 15, he gives in that curse an implicit promise to the woman Eve that the seed of woman, the offspring, the child, the descendant of Eve, the woman, will bruise, put to death the serpent's head. There was a promise there. That promise began that it was going to be some descendant of Eve. The billions of descendants of Eve. It could be any one of them based on Genesis 3.15. But then we find out in Genesis 6, there's a flood because the thoughts and intentions of man's heart were only evil continually. And God destroyed the human race except for eight individuals who found safety and refuge in the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Out of the ark into a brand new world come these eight individuals. We now know that God's promise is going to be fulfilled through one of the three sons of Noah and a descendant of Noah's son and his wife. As the genealogies are given leading up to Genesis 12, we know it's going to be Shem, this one of Noah's sons. And a descendant of Shem would have the name Avram or Abraham. Now it's being narrowed down even further. Throughout the book of Genesis, we find out that it's not the child of the flesh, Ishmael, but it's the child of promise, Isaac, through whom Messiah would come. Then it's not the eldest Esau, but the younger brother Jacob, through whom Messiah would come. And then it's not the oldest son of Jacob, but the fourth son of Jacob, Judah, through, through whom Messiah would come. When Jacob pronounces a blessing upon Judah, and it says the scepter, the kingly scepter, will not depart from Judah until he, whose it is, comes. Messiah comes. We find out that later on in the Old Testament that it's not going to be the oldest sons of Jesse, but the youngest son of Jesse, David. And then God in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17 makes a covenant with David that one of his descendants, a descendant of David's son Solomon, will rule forever from the throne of David. The Old Testament is a book that keeps on narrowing down from the entire human race to the son of Mary, the virgin. And we finally come to Matthew chapter 1. 
God is working out this plan. He has a plan of redemption, and Abraham has a part of it. You, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have repented of your sin, turned to the Lord for salvation, trusting only in what he did on the cross when he bore the sins of the world, shed his blood, and died, then you are part of God's redemptive plan. You are an object of his eternal love. And he has redeemed you, bought you out of the slave market of sin for himself. You are part of that plan. God will always work out his plan in your life. That's what these verses will teach us about God. He is going to work out his plan in Abraham's life, and we're going to see that throughout, all the way up to Genesis 25, chapter 25. We will see that God is working out his plan. Nothing can ever stop him. It'll never fail. He does what he wants in his time the way he wants. And no one can resist his will. If you take only one thing away from this morning's message, just one thing, take this away. Something you can put in practice in your life. God always blesses faithfulness. And we're going to see in this message what this faithfulness looked like in these nine verses that our brother Joe read for us. God always blesses faithfulness. And he has given us the Holy Spirit to enable you and I who have believed in him to be faithful. Just like Abraham was faithful. We're going to look at these nine verses under two big headings. Faith in God's promise. God's word, his promise before that plan actually begins to take effect in Abraham's life. And then faith in God's plan as he actually begins to live through that plan that God has promised. So let's begin by looking at faith in God's promise. The promise of God always begins with his word. For Abraham, the Lord said, he spoke with an audible voice, it would appear. The Lord said to Abraham, go forth. For you and I, the scriptures are abundantly clear in 2 Timothy 3.17 that the word of God is inspired in verse 16 for the purpose that you and I would be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The promise begins with God's word, whether it was the spoken word to Abraham or the completed inspired scripture that the believer in Christ has today. The Lord said to Abraham, goes forth, the promise will always begin with his word. It doesn't begin anywhere else but his word. I can't stress enough, if you want to be faithful to the plan that he has for your life, then you must be in God's word. You don't have to spend hours a day but you do need to be in God's word regularly and faithfully. Very often, when God's word comes, as it did here, it comes with a command. Go forth. That is a command. It wasn't optional. 
if Abraham was going to experience the faithful promise of God in his life, if he was going to see God working and accomplishing his plan in his life, he was going to have to obey the command of God and go forth. The promise and the plan were not going to happen if Abraham stayed where he was. God had something much better planned for Abraham, much better in store for Abraham if he would just go forth in obedience. And as we saw, as the verses were read, he did just that. The promise that God has for you is just like with Abraham. It's for those who will separate themselves from certain influences. The Lord said to Avram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. <coughs> Excuse me. Abraham had to separate from those things that were holding him back. The story of Abraham actually begins in the last verses of the previous chapter, chapter 11. There we find out that his father, Terah, went with him, actually as the head of the family, the clan, he led them out, Terah did. But he stopped at Haran and stayed there. And Abraham stayed there as well. He waited and waited and waited until his father died. Then he continues on to the promised land, the land of Canaan. The promise is for those who separate, not for those who tarry where they are. God wants us to, as believers in Christ to separate from worldly influence, from the sin which so easily entangles us. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that, seeing we have such a great a cloud of witnesses around us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The promise is for those who will separate. We have to separate from those things that are holding us back from realizing the promise that God has for us that he reveals in his word. The promise contains a goal. The Lord said to Abraham or Avram, go forth. He didn't just say go forth. Well, where, where? Where am I supposed to go, Lord? No, the word of the Lord told him where? To the land, which I will show you. Now, there was trust involved, but God promised him that he would lead him to the land. Exactly how he did it, we're not told in Scripture. God's promises contain a goal, a prize, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies Ahead, Paul writes in Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal, the prize for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
There is a goal. There is a prize. And when we see Christ face to face, we will see our prize. We will see him. All else will pale. We won't gaze like that old traditional hymn says, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. We will see that prize. God's promise contains that goal, and he will show it to you if you separate and press on in obedience to his word toward that goal. The promise contains a blessing. The promise is not burdensome. It's not, it's not so heavy that it weighs us down and crushes us under the weight of that promise. No, it contains a blessing. The Lord said to Avram, go forth and I will make you. Not you will be, but I will make you. God is saying what he will do, not what Avram had to do. The go forth was his part. The blessing was God's part. Our part is the obedience, the going forth and the separating. God's part is the blessing. I have no doubt that God will bless. The only question mark is me, whether I will separate, whether I will be obedient. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Not only would God bless Avram, but he himself would become a blessing to others. Brothers and sisters, as the Lord blesses you, he desires that you would be a blessing to others as well. Think about that. Have you ever wanted to be a blessing to someone, to be a positive influence, a positive Christian influence on their life? That's part of God's promise. If we are obedient, our light will shine. We will have an influence to, upon others. The promise involves others in a positive way. He's, the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you. He, his intention was not just to bless Abraham. When we pray and we, and we beseech and, and, and entreat the Lord and plead with the Lord for a blessing of subtype, for an answered prayer, it's not just to be intended to bless us. God's plan is much bigger than that. When he blesses us, we should turn around and in some fashion bless others as well. Be a blessing to them, even if it's just to give a positive word of testimony about how God has so blessed us. I am so unworthy, but God has made himself so real to me. The joy he's given me in my heart, the, the life that he's given me to live above my circumstances and to persevere and triumph in any circumstance in life, that kind of testimony can be a blessing to others as well. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The gospel was not just for the Jews. 
It was to be for the entire world. This is why the Gentiles are involved in the salvation of Messiah. It began here. And in you, all the families, not just the Jewish families, all the nations, not just of the land, the promised land that Israel inherited, but of the earth will be blessed. You can trace your inclusion. If you're a Gentile, you can, you can trace your inclusion in the salvation plan of God back to Abraham. He is the father of your faith as well, and he ought to be an inspiration to our faithfulness to God just as he was. The promise involves others negatively as well. There's a negative aspect. The other side of the coin, the one who curses you, I will curse. God will defend you. As we sang, he will give the victory. He will give the victory. No weapon formed against you shall triumph. Our God will never fail. He will defend us. He will curse the one who curses you. Whether that be in this life or, God forbid, an eternal condemnation and curse because they never repented of their sin and trusted in Christ. The promise is a blessing for all those who believe, but the promise is an eternal curse and condemnation for those who reject. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted in what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, the scriptures are clear. He bore the sins of the world in his body on the cross. He shed his blood and died to provide salvation. Only through him, he said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He was the doorway of salvation when he hung on the cross, bled and died. And then three days later, triumphed over the grave when he rose from the dead. If you've never trusted in him, the scripture says you cannot work for your salvation. It's not based on deeds of righteousness, which we have done, the scripture says, but according to his mercy. For by grace, an undeserved act of kindness, you are saved through faith, not of works. It's so simple. If you've never trusted in that simple gospel message of what Jesus Christ did, then the one who curses Abraham curses God's provision of salvation through the son, the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And one day you will be cursed. That's, those are harsh words. We're talking about an eternal condemnation. You can either have the blessing of Abraham or the curse that would be associated for those who reject Abraham's greatest descendant, Jesus Christ. The promise always involves obedience. Abraham went forth just as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't modify it any. He didn't think, oh, I got a good idea. I can do so. I can improve upon God's 
promise and plan a little bit. He went forth in obedience just as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't deviate. He didn't change. He did what God's word said to do. There's always obedience. There's a, an old traditional hymn. I've sung it so many times. Number 305 in the blue worship hymnal from back home. I, I know the number. Trust and obey. The chorus says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Abraham did that. He trusted in the promise of God, and then he obeyed the word of God that was part of that promise. Brothers and sisters, the, what's true of Abraham is true of every one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ and is a child of God. We need to trust in his word and obey his word. Abraham only inherited the promise because he trusted God, meaning he believed that what God said was really true and was going to come to pass, and he acted in obedience upon it. There's never a blessing apart from obedience in Abraham's life and in your life and mine. This was God's promise, and at the very end, we saw that Abraham started to act on God's promise. He believed it, and he began to act. His faith in God's plan, we're now going to see him acting again and again and again, carrying out the instruction of God. Faith trusts God for the goal. The Lord said to Abraham, go forth to the land which I will show you. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham went out as that blue verse that we read together. He went out not knowing where he was going. He trusted the Lord to show him because the Lord said, I will show you. And so he trusted in God's word and he acted and did exactly what God's word had told him to do. Faith is never too old to trust. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now Abraham, or Avram, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was 75 years old. He would live another 100 years. The, uh, they still lived long life, relatively long lifespans at that time. But he was 75 years old. He was not too old to trust God and to obey. Brothers and sisters, you and I are not too old to trust God and to obey him. Age is no excuse for not trusting God and obeying God. There's always some pr promise of God, some instruction from the word of God that you and I can obey. We're never too old. We can't use age as an excuse. Faith, true faithfulness. The faithful always want others involved. So Avram went forth and Lot went with him. But the next verse says Avram took Lot. Now as head of the family, he takes his nephew with him. 
Faith wants others involved. Faith doesn't just hoard its prize. We don't just hoard our salvation. Oh, I know the gospel. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with God and Christ. Oh, mine, 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 my precious, my precious. No. Faith wants others involved. Avram wanted his entire family and even those who were not his family, as we'll see in the next slide. He wanted them involved. So to the believer in Christ, we don't hoard the gospel. We should share the gospel with others. Tell others about the promise and the plan of God. That's revealed in his word. The written word reveals the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for the world, for fallen man. Do you want others involved this morning? Do you share your faith, even if it's just to leave a track? How do you involve others in the promise and plan of God? Ask yourself that question. Hopefully you do in some way, even if it's just a track. We have that fantastic track rack that... Uh, one of our brothers and sisters keeps well supplied. So many different kinds of tracks. There's a brother here that I, I've actually uh, gone on this walk with him down in Newport. He walks along and he sticks tracks in different spots along that walk. And then when he turns around and comes back, sometimes some of the tracks are gone. Somebody has taken that track. There's so many ways we can share our faith. I'm not a theologian, Paul. I, I can't explain the gospel. What if I'm asked a bunch of questions? Leave a track. Pray for the person who will read that track. Faith leaves no one out. Faith doesn't look at someone and leave them out. Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. He took his wife, understandable. He took his nephew, not quite as understandable as we find out what kind of character he is in the chapters uh, coming up. He also took all the possessions which they had accumulated, and their servants, the persons they had acquired in Haran. Faith leaves no one out. Have you ever looked at a person? You know, you, 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 you went out somewhere and you prayed before you went out, Lord, uh, uh, bring someone across my path that I could share the gospel with. I had a brother tell me this once. He, he prayed like that. And when he, when he got to where he was going, this... Hog, this Harley Davidson bike, pulls up all loud, and this huge mountain of a man climbs off with his uh, leather jacket, belonged to a, a local motorcycle club that's always in trouble with the police in New Haven. And he thought, oh, Lord, not this guy. He'll never get saved. And uh, he didn't share the gospel with him. 
He didn't even give him a track. He came to me and he told me about this because he felt really bad about it. He had told the Lord, the first person who comes across his path, he's going to give a track to. And so I, I, I said to him, if the Lord told you, when you said he'll never get saved, if the Lord told you, I've prepared his heart, he's ready, he will get saved, would you have shared the gospel with him? And he said, oh, yes, I definitely would have shared the gospel with him. So I said to him, how do you know he wouldn't get saved? How do you know the Lord didn't prepare his heart? See, we don't know. Faith leaves no one out. We don't judge others. Remember, you and I were sinners, unsaved, on our way to hell. And there was nothing beautiful about us. We may not have been part of a uh, motorcycle gang, but we had our own sins and shortcomings and unchristlikeness. I could imagine someone looking at me at the time and thinking, oh, the Johnson will never get saved. I used to mock Christians and the gospel. I didn't really know what the gospel was. I just knew it was something I didn't want. Faith leaves no one out. I'm so glad that the person who shared the gospel with me did not leave me out. And he knew me because I was friends with his older brother. He knew me real well. But he shared the gospel with me after he got saved. Faith leaves no one out. Faith inspires others to act. Avram took Sarai and Lot and all their possessions and the persons and they set out for the land of Canaan. See, Avram didn't go alone. He took the others, but they had to decide to go along. They could have stayed in Haran, or they could have gone back to Ur of the Chaldees, a very prosperous land. But faith inspires others to act. If others don't act, it's not your fault if you're faithful. They bear that responsibility. But the faithful believer in Christ can be an inspiration to others. Just like the Bible characters are an inspiration to us. To do what they do that's positive and don't do what they do that's negative. We can inspire others as well. You want to be an inspiration to someone? You want to influence someone positively for Christ, even your child or grandchild. Just be faithful to what God says in his word. Pray to him. Ask him to control you by his Holy Spirit, fill you with his Holy Spirit. Produce the character of Christ in you. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. It's one of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Ask God to help you to be faithful. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this. What does God require of a steward? We all have a stewardship from God. We are all stewards of the gospel. We manage the gospel. 
that has been entrusted to us by letting our light shine and sharing the gospel. Paul says, what does God require of a steward but that he be found faithful? That's it. He doesn't require that the steward make money. He doesn't require of us that we lead souls to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We're just to be faithful in sharing the gospel, faithful in living in obedience to God's word. The blessing is God's job. The salvation of others is the Holy Spirit's job, not ours. We just be faithful to the stewardship that's been entrusted to us. Faith will inspire others to act. Faith always arrives at the promised destination. Why? Because God always keeps his promise. Every promise of God has either been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. None of them have ever not been fulfilled, been wrong. Faith always arrives at the promised destination. You trust God and obey what's in his word, and you will always arrive at the promised destination. They set out for the land of Canaan, thus they came to the land of Canaan. They set out for it. Why? God said it. Go forth to a land that I will show you, and he will show him the land of Canaan. And where did they come to? The land of Ur? The land of Egypt? No, they came to the land of Canaan. You will always arrive where God wants you to arrive if you obey his word. Here is a, a map of this is where they started in Ur of the Chaldees. And Terah took them to Haran and then stayed there. After his death, Abraham then went down to this area, the promised land, Israel. From, from the starting point to here is about 650 to 700 miles, but it's all desert and there's no water. They can't go that way. So they follow the Euphrates River, just like the wise men did when they came to see the baby Jesus. They followed to here. Terah took them up here. The wise men would come to here, to Damascus, Syria, and then down. This, this is probably between uh, 1,000 and 1,100 miles. So about uh, Swansea, uh, Somerset area to Chicago. That, that's the, that would take this journey just to here and then down. It would take six or seven months by the fastest caravan. If it was a large caravan with uh, a lot of women who might be given birth and children who couldn't travel as fast, it could be a 10-month journey. But that's about how long it would take uh, just to do the journey that the wise men did. Obviously, this journey would take a little longer, but that's, that's a map to show you what this journey was like. It was anything but easy. They stayed near a water source, the Euphrates River, and then they traveled down into Israel. Faith always receives more understanding. As we act in faith, 
and we are faithful to the light that God, the understanding that God has given to us, he will give us more light. He will give us more understanding. Avram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. The Lord appeared to Avram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. He gives him more understanding. He knew now exactly what this land was, or at least some of the land that the Lord would give him. He's going throughout the chapters, give him even a larger understanding of what this land is, how great this land is going to be. But faith, faithfulness will always receive more understanding. Jesus Christ himself taught this in John 7, 17. He said, if any man will do God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it be of God or whether it be of myself. Jesus Christ promised that if we are obedient to the light, to the understanding of his word that he gives us, that God will give us more. He'll entrust more truth to us. Why? Not just so we can fill our head with Bible facts, but so that we can live a life that's even more pleasing to him, that's even more victorious over trials and tribulations. Faith and faithfulness will always receive more understanding, just like in Abraham, the father of the faithful. As it was with the father of the faithful, so it will be with the children of the faithful. Faith, though, will not be spared future conflicts. Avram passed through the land, and then Moses writes this. Now the Canaanite was in the land. You got to remember when Moses wrote this, they had come out of Egypt. They had been redeemed out of the house of bondage and slavery with the Passover lamb, and they passed through the Red Sea, and they were going to inherit the promised land, the land that Abraham went to. They were going to inherit that, and there was going to be the Canaanite was in the land, the enemy that they were going to have to defeat. Moses writes this comment, the Canaanite was even there with Abraham. All of the Jews who first read this or heard it read, they knew what that meant. Conflict, warfare, we're going to have to fight and clear them out. The faithful will not be spared future spiritual conflicts. There, we are engaged in spiritual warfare, as Paul makes very clear in the book of Ephesians. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. We are engaged, the believer in Christ is engaged in spiritual warfare. The faithful will not be spared spiritual conflicts. They're there in our future. It's not a sign of God's displeasure with us. It's going to happen. The spiritual Canaanite, Satan and the forces of evil in this world are arrayed against the Christian to do spiritual battle. 
So don't be surprised if there are spiritual conflicts in your life. It's to be expected. It's to make our faith stronger as he gives us the victory like we sang this morning. Faith's first response is gratitude producing the worship of God. The Lord just told him, I will give you this land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So, that little word so, connects what Abraham was about to do with what God had just said. So, what did he do? He built an altar. An altar was a place of sacrifice and worship. So he built an altar there, not to his own vanity, but to the Lord who had appeared to him. The first response of the faithful is gratitude and appreciation that produces worship. Have you ever read God's word and it's like you're reading for that day, the scales like fall off your eyes and you behold the beauty of God's truth in that passage and how valuable it is for you as a believer in Christ and the life that you want to live. And you just thank the Lord. Wow, thank you so much, Lord. And you worship him. God's word can be that way to you. I guarantee it. If, if it's been like that to me at times, I know it can be like that to you. There, there's nothing special about me or anyone else who teaches up here. You can have an even greater relationship with God and Christ than anyone who preaches up here. You can be closer to them than anyone who preaches up here. Just be faithful to what the Lord reveals to you from his word. And he'll give you more light and produce an attitude of gratitude that just has to worship him for who he is and how wonderful he is. Faith always desires to be closer to God. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. So the hit it. The heading says, faith always desires to be closer to God. How do we get that from the text? He proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. You know what Bethel or Bethel means? House of God. The house of God. So he pitched his tent with the house of God. Not too far off, but I was on the east. Do you know what that word I means, the Hebrew word for I? A heap of ruins, a heap of ruins. He pitched his tent between the house of God and the heap of ruins. Brothers and sisters, that's where you and I are in this world. We're between the house of God and a heap of ruins. What determines where we are going to be closer to is how faithful we are to what God has revealed to us in his word. Unfaithfulness, it's the heap of ruins. Faithfulness, it's the house of God. 
faith always desires to be near the house of God. But even at this great point in Abraham's life, where he's acted in faith, we're going to see in a moment that even when we're close to God and we're worshiping, as we see in the rest of verse 8, he proceeded from there and he pitched his tent. That's where he was going to live, between Bethel and I. There he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Even though faith will always put forth the necessary effort to worship God, and there is going to be effort to worship God. Sometimes it's tough to get out of bed on a Sunday morning or at other times in order to serve the Lord or to gather together or to fellowship or help uh, a brother or sister with a, with a project. Faith will always put forth the effort to worship God and to call upon his name, just like Abraham did. But even at this high point, now we read this. Avram journeyed on, continuing towards the Negev. The Negev was a desert. Why didn't he stay there? For some reason, he journeyed on. Our faith must never rest. We must always be on guard to be where we're supposed to be. He had pitched his tent near Bethel, the house of God, but now he continues on to the Negev. Avram was further up than here. The Dead Sea goes up a little more to the north, and he was over here. It's fertile. Here's mountains. He was somewhere over here, and yet he journeys down into this desert area, probably more near there. What does this desert area look like? This is the Negev. Okay, you see a little green stuff here. This is an intermittent spring. There's water here just probably for a few weeks of the year. And it just meanders around. This is where he went. And when our brother Gilson picks up with the next passage, we're going to see how he ends up in Egypt because he was here in the Negev and a famine hits. It's so important. We can never rest. Our faith can never rest. It all, we, we always need to be on guard against being led astray into a desert wilderness. We need to stay as close as possible to Bethel, where God is in his house. And I'm not talking literally about this building. I'm talking about our faith and our relationship through obedience to God's word. So in conclusion, let me leave you with couple parting questions. We saw that God always blesses faithfulness. Avram was faithful and he showed him the land that he would inherit. Today, will you begin to trust that obedience to God always brings blessing? Will you do that? And also, would you begin to live your life 
as if you believe the promises of God that are found in his word. They're true and they are amen, just as Avram, Abraham, the father of the faithful, found God to be true to his word, so will you as you act in faithful obedience to what he reveals in his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you so much for the example of Abraham. And oh, dear God, we desire to hear your word, not with our ears, but with the ears of our heart. We want to hear it. We want to understand it. We want to obey it and live it for your glory. Oh, Lord, would you be pleased to help us by your Holy Spirit to be faithful to what you say in your word. Help us to live in a way that inspires others to faithfulness as well. Dear God, help us to involve others in your salvation. Oh, we confess to you, Lord, that we let too many opportunities go by to share the gospel. Please, dear God, help us to be more faithful stewards of our Lord's good news and share that with others. Help us to trust in you, believe you, obey you, and we know, oh God, that you will always do what you have promised. We have no doubts about that. We thank you for who you are and all you have done. Amen.